Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. This is the Ion College Basketball uh, Podcast. It is now Monday, March 21st. And we got Matt Lorenlander with me. I got Sam Vecini with me. The Sweet 16 is all set. It's all big brands. Cinderella died this past weekend, in case you didn't hear. What's left, as I wrote earlier today over at CBSSports.com, are six ACC schools, three Big 12 schools, three Big 10 schools, one Big East school, one Pac-12 school, one SCC school, and Gonzaga, meaning the only Sweet 16 team in this NCAA tournament that truly operates outside of the power structure um, is a WCC school that was a number one seed in the NCAA tournament just four years ago, was a number two seed last year, and has been to six Sweet 16 since the turn of the century. In fact, um, as I wrote, uh, 13 schools that are in the Sweet 16 also appeared in at least one of the previous three Sweet 16s, and every school in the Sweet 16 entered the season having made the Sweet 16 at least once in the previous 13 years. So Cinderella is dead and gone and dead and gone. Shout out to T.I. and Justin Timberlake. We're going to look ahead to that in just a moment. But first, um, I want to look back at what was an amazing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of the NCAA tournament. Uh, wildest opening weekend I think any of us can remember, perhaps because it was the wildest ever. Norlander, I want to start with you. What was the story of the opening weekend outside of the macro? Holy wow, that was crazy. Is it Michigan State losing to Middle Tennessee? Stephen F. Austin losing at the buzzer in the round of 32 after their beard became incredibly famous? Is it Indiana ending Kentucky's season? Northern Iowa's truly historic collapse uh, that came just two days after uh, Paul Jesperson's buzzer beater. Uh, Bronson Koenig's game winner from the corner against Xavier. Buddy balling out, taking Oklahoma to the Sweet 16 or something else that I'm missing. You call it, Norlander. What's the story? Is that it, GP? I think is that's that all it? I got. I think that's all I got. Oh, and then the thing is, there's still, like, so much more. I know, like, right? Yeah. Like, I- Iowa barely getting past Temple at the buzzer. Um, you you t- did you just go- say there's so much more, and you mentioned Iowa and Temple? It was Woodbury. Got to give them that. Wood- it was Woodbury, and it was a true Woodbury. buzzer beater. Who so, yes, ca- Who absolutely. cares about Iowa and Temple? Well, that's the thing is in a normal tournament, that would have been like a top three or four moment. But this was not a normal first weekend of the tournament. And uh, to me, it is Northern Iowa um, because it gave us the most unlikely buzzer beater, I think, ever. That thing was so casual and so ridiculous on Friday to beat Texas. And that also what's what's interesting about that ending is that it was such a frenzied ending you know texas was right there mm-hmm. and, you know very ping pong like and uh and you thought it was going to for sure go to ot after isaiah taylor tied the game up um and then it was just almost just like a, okay well why not i'll try this and it was just the smoothest bank shot you've ever seen in your life you know just right off and in and uh an all-time buzzer beater and, and that is of course contrasted with the greatest collapse in college basketball history within the the terms of the biggest lead with less than a minute to go ever blown by any team the ncaa does consider the fact that even though they didn't lose the game in regulation since they lost the game eventually in double overtime northern iowa did to texas a&m it is the biggest blown lead in the history of the sport which is uh incredible and perhaps a fitting punctuation mark on on what probably has to be the 
the most dramatic first weekend ever. We were at three true buzzer beaters already. That ties the record in the expanded modern era, and that doesn't even count the the other ones where like Notre Dame wasn't a true buzzer beater. You know, Stephen F. Austin had 1.5 seconds to get a shot off. We had a number of those. Cincinnati almost beat the buzzer, but it was the inverse. They that dunk. You know, which you didn't mention. That's another thing. Like Cincinnati almost tied it, didn't quite get it. We've had four or five instances of those um, where it was a final shot in the final seconds. Like Little Rock had that incredible three-pointer by Josh Hagens. That came with like five seconds to go. Um, so to me, Northern Iowa punctuating. I, I do think it is the best, by the way. And we do. The tournament almost always has an amazing first weekend. Some years we'll randomly get kind of um, – some stinkers, but even in those, it's funny how th- there's a balance to this because even in those weekends, we'll usually get one or two uh, small schools that can kind of spice up the the second weekend. And here we have all this drama, and yet Gonzaga and Syracuse are the lowest seeded teams. You know, we didn't get Stephen F. Austin breaking through, and we can get to that in a little bit because I was actually there, and I would like to share a few scenes from that. But we didn't get that. Obviously, Northern Iowa, we, we thought it was it was going with both of those teams. We thought, you know, they were Northern Iowa for sure, just because of the lead. And then Stephen F. Austin, when you, at least to me in the building watching the game, like it just felt like for the final five minutes that it was theirs, that they were going to win it, they were taking control. And then, of course, they didn't score over the final 90 seconds. But uh, that's a long way of answering your question, GP. To me, the biggest story that's not the insanity of the entire first weekend, it is Northern Iowa having the highest of highs and the most amazing buzzer beater and then the just the worst collapse ever. My question is, Will we remember them equally 10, 15, 20 no, years from now? Oh no, the collapse. I don't even remember okay. the buzzer beater now. That collapse. Well, that's is stupid insane. because the buzzer beater is insane. Like the buzzer beater is ridiculous. Don't you remember the buzzer beater? Like we don't say the buzzer beater. No, the no. buzzer beater was so ridiculous that Jesperson tried to heat check from half court in overtime. Let me tell exactly. you. Let me tell you something about <laughs> half court shots. We see them all the time. You've seen a million half court. Shots Don't in your see life. them in the tournament from half court to win. Let me games. tell you what you never see in the tournament or outside of the tournament: a team blow a twelve point lead with thirty four seconds left. That's like, my point. So will we remember both of these things I equally? Just told you think you it'll you just know. be the collapse? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, it won't just be the collapse. We'll also remember the half court shot, but the collapse completely overshadows the buzzer beater that from two days earlier. Completely overshadows. I, I agree with that, that it overshadows it. I just think Sam. that the whole thing is, is the story, right? Like the, the rise and fall of Northern Iowa in like 48 hours. Woo. It's insane the way that that happened. Uh, like I feel bad for Ben Jacobson. I feel bad. Like there are so many ways in that collapse that it could have gone differently, right? Like if the referee doesn't call that phantom foul on Jesperson whenever Alex Caruso is driving to the rim, if the referee calls... Uh, Wes Washpin being like bumped off of his spot the entire time, uh, right during that turnover to Admin Gilder whenever he tied the game. Or if, uh, or if West just if throws Matt the Bohannon ball in the is air. healthy. If or Matt Bohannon is healthy, uh, this probably doesn't happen because that gives them another ball handler in the game. Like, there's so many different things here, so many crazy things that couldn't have happened, and they all happened like at once. Like, I've never seen something like. Just like do it. the math on it. How does that even like? I don't. Let's uh, like. Let, Take take your best ball handler out of the game. Uh, tell the refs the refs they don't they're not allowed to call any fouls on the other team. Like how do you still blow a twelve point lead with thirty four seconds to go? Like it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I've never seen something like. No, that. the reason you've never, never seen something like it is because it's never happened. happened. It's never happened. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. Yeah, it's, like even even the Maryland Duke thing in the last minute, like in what two thousand one, I think that was. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it wasn't even that like remarkable as what we saw in this Texas A&M. Not even close. The Duke not even and close. Duke Maryland one. I mentioned this to Jeff Eisenberg on Twitter. It's an amazing comeback. But if you watch how it plays out, it's like a ten point game, and then Duke like gets two quick threes, and um, and that comes right before they score on a possession. So they got like eight points in twenty seconds. So they were down two by like with like forty seconds to go or whatever. <laughs> and this one, it's just like it was a choke. It was not a like animated the baskets. Don't get me wrong, but Northern Iowa just that was lemon booty to end all lemon booty. That was uh, just just insane. And I'm so happy that Sam brought up jesperson because he wasn't a heat check he went roscoe smith it was like that was a hundred percent a heat check there were five (laughs) seconds to go you could have gotten it up into two point range for the buzzer beater okay but he i don't know if it was just the bravado it was just like screw it i'm on a roll let him go with it it's not even close. It's all glass. And then Caruso gets the board, right? And then his shot is even further away on the other side and was closer to going in. And <laughs> Jesperson's shot was so early that it had to go the entire length of the court, fall off the board. Caruso got it, have enough time to fully grab and throw it and get it off before the buzzer beat. Ugh. It was so freaking weird and bizarre. No, I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm glad you called it a uh, lemon booty and choke job because that's what it was. I've heard some people commenting and and read some folks writing like you know you got to give the AM players some credit and blah 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 blah. Listen, I don't care. If you can do that, but yeah, I, it's I don't. A I don't joke. care if you're playing the Golden State Warriors. If you are up twelve, like, and I mean, I mean this. If you're Northern Iowa and you're playing the Golden State Warriors, if you're up twelve with thirty four seconds to play, there's no way they can beat you unless you help them. Like, they're, they're, it just mm. cannot happen yep. unless you give it to them. And like, and think of the think of the like contrast between. You know, before this time yesterday, if somebody would ask, hey, what's the biggest like comebacks in late, you know, NCAA tournament games? But like one of the things that just would jump out to everybody, I think, is the 2008 National Championship game. That was Memphis up nine with like 158 to go. And that, that's what we considered amazing. Oh, oh man, they, they blew a nine point lead with one, 158 to go. These dudes blew a 12 point lead with 34 seconds to go. I mean, I, I, we were watching it in the studio and we had like, it was like every people were like getting up and going to grab something to eat. Like the game's over. Right. And, and then you're, you're like, no way, no way. No. And after you say no way about 14 different times at a 14 different moments, um, they're going to overtime. Like it is incredible. And I felt sick uh, for Ben and, and for those seniors, I did think it was cool. Not cool. That's not the right word, but I thought it was um, impressive that, I don't know if you saw the beginning of, of Ben Jacobs' press conference of the Northern Iowa's press conference, but he said that the NCAA, you know, they sort of request who they want, right? They can go in there and say, hey, we'd like so-and-so and so-and-so. And they requested two underclassmen. I don't remember who, but they were and, – and Ben said, no, 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 no. My seniors are going. We're going to do this together. And he brought the seniors out. And they sit there and they took it, every one of them. I think Wes was mostly like just – he looked shell-shocked. Um, mm-hmm. Jesperson was like, you know, crying. Bohannon, crying. Um, but, but I thought it was impressive of Ben to not make them go through it. Like it was waterboarding or something, but like, I, I think he saw some benefit, perhaps not that would, they would, they would benefit, nothing they'd benefit from last night, but some long-term benefit to, Hey, this, this happened and this was awful and we will be remembered for this forever. Um, and it's not good, but let's go out here and let's go take this. Let's, let's go out and, and, um, and handle it like professionals. 
And um, given that we see professionals not handle it like professionals all the time, I thought that was a, an awesome moment. They turned a really just heartbreaking scene relative to sports, of course, into what I thought was, was something impressive. I, I, I felt sick for them, though. I th- here's my th- uh, thing on Northern Iowa, and then I guess, um, GP, you can take it where you want. But Northern Iowa now <clears throat> has created this uh, – like they've become a team of march in a lot of ways because you had Farouk Manesh, obviously, against Kansas a few years back. And and they've been in the tournament plenty. You know, they, they were even a number five seed last year. But I think what this year in, you know, Washpen's uh, incredible bounce to win the Missouri Valley title. I mean, that was huge. Right. Then, you know, it plays this ridiculously good game against Texas on Friday. It gets the win uh, with just an unbelievable buzzer-beating shot, and now it's on the other end. So, to me, it's become the program as of late that – that can define so much of what we love about March and what can hurt us so much about March because it's a small school, because it's taken down giants in Kansas. It's had huge buzzer beaters. And now it's just experienced like the worst possible way you could lose to me. The, I, I still, to me, the, the most painful, like the, the game that was choked away that still angers me is Gonzaga blowing it with 17 points to UCLA because that was like UCLA, like ripping the life out of Gonzaga slowly but surely. And it was almost like Gonzaga was helpless to stop it. This one was similar to that, but I was more just kind of like, what is actually happening here? Whereas like the Gonzaga one was like, what are you doing? And it felt it just felt inevitable with that one. You just knew that there was Gonzaga was going to give the game away, and Morrison crying on the floor kind of embodied that. Sure. But this one is I, I would put this one number two uh, all time, and then maybe Arizona Illinois. But again, I, I've said before on the podcast, I actually never saw that game, so I don't have proper context of how that one played out in real time. You ha- you put this one number two just because the stakes weren't as high. It was around a thirty two as opposed to a Sweet Sixteen. Yes. Yeah, and because yes, and because the um, the the draw. It's funny, GP, because I didn't see that Arizona Illinois one, um, and you didn't see. You were in the building, but you didn't see the. the yeah, Gonzaga. But, yeah, but I've subsequently seen it. I've watched it. But like yeah. th- that one just felt. Um, I it w- since it was kind of, it was a bigger deficit. I know it was, it was more time, but UCLA yeah. scored I think the final eleven points of that one, and. Um, yeah, it was just it was a Sweet Sixteen the, game, and it was just ripping their bones well, out the, of their the, bodies slowly the, but surely. To the, me, that was more painful. Well, the other thing that one did that this one didn't do, with all due respect to the Northern Iowa players, is that one ended the career of a college basketball icon, right? right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's like I, there's some Twitter uh, handle out there that tweets at me often, like that's Adam Morrison crying. Like Adam Morrison crying is a thing, and it's a yeah. thing because of that moment. Like I don't think I don't think. Uh, Jesperson crying is ever going to be a thing, right? So the reason the UCLA Gonzaga one resonates so much isn't simply because they, you know, somebody blew a 17 point lead because that 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 happens basically every NCAA tournament at some point. Like Duke almost blew a 27 point lead the other day to Yale, um, yeah, but it was right. that it was that they blew a lead um, in in a, in a way that ended Adam Morrison's career and left him on the court crying. Like all of that, all of that, the scene, the visual, the thing we can all still see mm-hmm. um, is part of that moment. But in terms of just pure, holy crap, I can't believe that just happened. I don't see how this one's not number one. I mean, if, if only because the numbers are the numbers. Up 12, 34 seconds to go. It's uh, yeah, no, it's it's, also, it's totally valid. Yeah. Right um, yeah. Uh, uh, um, meantime, and this was what's crazy. So we're all sucked into the Northern Iowa A and M game, and meantime, Xavier's blowing its own lead uh, to Wisconsin hmm. late Sunday night. Right, they're up nine in the second half, seemingly in control. 
and then just blow it, blow it. And then Edmund Sumner gets called for a charge. Like he went too early. I don't know if he went too early, but like, I mean, it, with hindsight, he clearly went too early because it, the result was a charge and, and Wisconsin had time to, to run it back the other way. Um, but either way, it, Xavier with a nine point lead late, you're supposed to win. Xavier tied with the ball, 15 seconds to go. Worst case scenario, you're supposed to go to overtime. And instead, they lose on a Bronson Koenig corner three, which was an awesome shot, right? But, like, he should have never been in a position to take the shot. It was just another, not not as memorable and not record-setting, but just another, oh, my God, what just happened? And these things came within a couple of minutes of each other uh, on Sunday night. Uh, Vicini, I know you watched both of them. Um, like Again, that's a Xavier team that, well, here's the other thing. That Northern Iowa team, I don't think any of us thought they were going to the Final Four, right? It was just like... Yeah. It's a cool story, yeah. fun team, Ben's great, but they ain't going anywhere. They lose now. They can either lose now or lose next week, but they ain't, they ain't doing the whole thing. Xavier is somebody people had penciled into the Final Four, maybe, and to watch him go out like that was just, uh, I don't want to keep using the word heartbreaking, but it's the one that keeps, it's the one that comes to mind. It was just bad, a bad deal. And I felt sick for Sumner because... Um, it wasn't they, a charge. Well, that's so cool. There's <laughs> that, right? I mean, it didn't look like a charge <laughs> to me either, but it is a bang-bang play, whatever, but like... I like you don't get that out of your head, man. Like I think that that yeah. kind of I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told it on the podcast, but like I don't have big sports moments. You know, I was a, I was a, a a good soccer player and a and a good enough baseball player, right? But that's my that's my career in, in terms of being an athlete. Like I, I I played high school and I was I was good enough to start and be whatever. But like I wasn't doing anything past that. And um, I still remember like striking out in the state championship game when I was twelve years old. You know, like, I, I, I still remember my last at bat in high school was, like, state tournament quarterfinals, and I hit a, into a 6-4-3 double play. And I don't want to say it haunts me, but, like, it's in my head. It's things that I remember. I don't remember any – I really don't remember anything else from when I was 12 except getting called out on a strike three in the state championship game with the tying run at second base. And, like, I, so if that's in my head from a bazillion years ago, you know, in a – in a game that literally nobody else remembers except for me. I'm confident of that. Nobody else, nobody else in this world remembers that I took a called strike three when I was 12 years old in the state tournament quarterfinals. I bet my, I remember it. I I bet my parents don't Mm. even really remember it. And, um, and if that like still in my head, how, if you're like, if you're Edmund Sumner, how do you get that out of your head? If you're like, I bet you if Adam were being honest with you, even though he went on to the NBA and he made millions of dollars and all that stuff, like that game, that loss is it, it's with you forever, man. And uh, yeah. I hated watching Sumner go through that last night because he had such a he's had such a great freshman season, and then it's a turnover and the game's over and your season's over and this might be the best Xavier team he ever plays on. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Nicole Auerbach retweeted a photo of Edmund Sumner, like shout right out after the, that. Shout out to Nikki. Yeah, like right after it happened, like the camera showed Sumner. Yeah. And the look on his face was yeah. just like, ah. it, it was devastated. Like, like it was like half like shell shock and right. just half like, how do you, like, how do you come back from that? You know what I mean? And I feel really bad for all of these dudes like that because you brought up the idea of these dudes have to live with that forever. Uh, Denzel Valentine, I think, uh, you know, and they lost that game. I mean, he said that right after the game. He said, and I quote, but I got something that I'll never forget for the rest of my life, that when you're in this position and everyone's looking at you, you've got to come through. 
I didn't come through today and I'll remember that for the rest of my life. God, I hate like, that. Like, I hate, you know what? Like, here's the honesty, God truth. Because, it sucks. because of that last night, and I, listen, I think the Billy Kennedy story is an awesome story. Um, I like those guys on that staff. Um, I'll be honest with you. I was rooting for the Northern Iowa kids because I didn't want that collapse on them forever. You know, I, I know, yeah. I know that that's something you have to live with forever. And like, that's something you remembered, um, that people remember you by forever in a negative way. And so there was a part of me, like, I just wanted to avoid that for them. So I wanted to see them win in the overtime. It, it like, it sucks, man. I don't like people. I don't like people. I don't wish that on other people, man. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like no one on that, especially like North, no one on that Northern Iowa team is like going on to like the NBA, you know, like maybe Wes Washington plays in the D league for a while and maybe gets like a cup of coffee in the NBA, but like, he's the only one that really has a shot, right? Like, these guys are not your typical like guys trying to go to the sweet 16 as star players. Like these are your guys who that's really going to fester with. I feel like, right. Like, you know, we could have gone to the sweet 16, but we lost a 12 point lead with 30 seconds left. That's crazy. And it's the same with these Xavier kids. Like uh, I feel terrible for these, these kids. And you know, like that Koenig shot was unbelievable. And uh, shout out to, I think it was Nigel Hayes, Nigel Hayes. They ran the ball across half court and then Hayes called a timeout right away. Like it almost seemed like without his teammates realizing it. So they got to get a play set up with like two seconds left. It was really smart, Um, man. It was just a crazy, crazy turn of events in that game that, you know, I was half paying attention to because of what was happening in Northern Iowa. Right. The, the, uh, the Koenig shot came, comes, came from the, uh, the Drew Nicholas corner, as I like to call it, because that was the same, uh, camera angle when Nicholas hit it for, uh, the winner over Wilmington with Maryland some years back. It was awesome because he hits the shot and then he disappears into the bench. And so the, the, (laughs) the bench guys are like on the floor and he's kind of, there's a great, uh, Chip posted a great video on CBS Sports, our colleague Chip Patterson, who was on the Friday podcast, of course, of the angle that a fan took. He was front row right behind the bench, and uh, Koenig like, just throws his arms up. He's completely uh, enveloped by his teammates, and it's just really, listen, it's, it's, it would be you know the best buzzer beater of, the, of most tournaments if it didn't come in the same one where Northern Iowa hit a running half-court bank shot to win the game. It's still, it's just, it's insane. And as for Wisconsin... A couple quick things. One, Greg Gard, my goodness, uh, you could not do more to earn a job. And he is uh, (laughs) it's uh, he's he's lived a charmed second half of the season here. He had an emotional moment on the floor afterward where he talked about his father, his late father, who he lost prior to the season, was kind of his guardian angel this entire year. How could you not get emotional believe in a higher being when you're getting into the sweet 16, when you're making the tournament in this kind of way, especially with how the season started. So Wisconsin, like the Xavier thing is so tough to take, but the Wisconsin win, you know, it just is the, it's the polar opposite. It is such a powerful story and uplifting thing that is why we love this tournament so much because no one thought this team was going to the tournament. And now it's in the sweet 16 with just an utterly gorgeous Set and buzzer beater to hit and win it. And Koenig said afterward, they run it plenty. And it's basically like a we, uh, a wagon wheel play where it's either him or Hayes that's going to get it. And they practice it. He pra- he says, I channeled my inner Steph Curry because he kind of runs this action too. I've done it so many thousands of times. When it let, when I let it go, I felt good. I thought it was going in. Just such a, a gorgeous looking play. Uh, Norlander, meantime, you were earlier in the day. 
uh, before all this went on, the Northern Iowa collapse and the Wisconsin shot, um, you were in Brooklyn, right? No, in Pro- where were you? Yes. Yes, I was yeah, cheapy. Yes, I was in Brooklyn. You thought I was like in St. Louis like three days ago, which was never the case. I don't know. I can't keep track of you, man. I can't keep track of you. <laughs> can barely keep track of myself. But you were there for Stephen F. Austin, right? Yes. Yes. What happened? What happened? Okay. What happened to the freaking lumberjacks? Because I had them. They were. <sighs> do you know this? Do you know that if they would have just closed, we would have woke up today? And you know what? It would have been the biggest story in sports. Yes. The lumberjacks. Yeah. yeah. The lumberjacks. Yes, I trust me. I walk I, up I, I the did, beard. Yeah. They would have been the biggest story in college. Biggest story in sports right now would be the lumberjacks. Everybody, it, everybody in the country would be going. Not everybody, but more people, more writers than ever have ever been there in all the years that Stephen F. Austin has existed would be on their way to Stephen F. Austin. I was ready to write that story and did plenty of back reporting on it, um, just because I thought they had a really good chance at winning. And to me, from start to finish, like there have been more memorable endings in this tournament. But for the course of 40 consistent minutes, Stephen F. Austin Notre Dame, I think, is the best game of the tournament so far. But we all we obviously have a few uh, other nominees for that. And that's what's making this first weekend so amazing. Uh, The building was incredible. Uh, just a quick note on Barclays. They need to put the tournament. It's like the Garden has uh, the regionals next year. The tournament should be in New York City as often as you can put it in there because there's so many people and sidewalk alumni and it's such an easy destination. The The building was incredible. Even for like Villanova romping Iowa, it, it was still a good environment. And shout out to Villanova for exercising some demons and, and not messing around and getting to the second round. As for Stephen F. Austin, I thought it was going to win. It was really in control over those final five minutes. You felt like... It was theirs. You felt like they weren't going to really do anything to to choke it away or anything like that. Notre Dame was obviously uh, putting up such a great fight, and it was very fun. I mean, Demetrius Jackson, my goodness, that dunk, that took the the air out of everyone's breath when he threw that down to Lane. It was uh, it was ridiculous. Um, I, I I loved getting to cover a game like this in person. It, it to me, you know, I I was at the Kentucky Notre Dame game in Cleveland last year. Notre Dame has this ridiculous penchant for incredible tournament games. I mean, the Michigan one, we forget about that one like it's an afterthought, but that was I mean, Michigan threw haymakers, Notre Dame rallied, played big, and Stephen F. Austin with how it handled West Virginia, how it came in. Brad Underwood is such a freaking good coach that is a great staff. Brad Underwood Best of luck at your next gig, man, because there is no shot. You should be coaching Stephen F. Austin next year. He's amazing. He has 89 wins through three seasons, okay? The only other coach that's ever done that to start his career is a guy named Brad Stevens, and Brad Underwood has matched it. Um, it would have been great for the tournament if Stephen F. Austin had broken through because, one, it was underseeded. It was the best 14 seed, I think, in the history of the tournament. I mean, pretty much every objectable uh, metric would have told you that, but that's fine. Like whatever. I, we've reached a point here where I think people realize that the 14 now, it doesn't mean what it meant in 2003 and certainly not in the eighties and nineties, but, uh, walk up is just such a stud. You know, it's interesting though, um, is I had a few buddies, uh, who, who followed the sport and, and, but they didn't know who Stephen Austin was. They didn't know who walk up was. They were like, I got it. Two two separate buddies of mine that don't even know each other told me this uh, yesterday. They're like, I got to be honest. I kind of wanted Austin to, Stephen up Austin to lose because everyone was turning Thomas Walkup into the Tim Tebow of college basketball, and I, and I didn't even make that connotation whatsoever. Um, but apparently, you know, the the love fest. See, I don't. I wasn't really watching a ton of TV. I was kind of reporting on on the scene. But apparently, just like everyone was all in on Austin, and it would have been great, and they should have won. But as you mentioned, GP. 
or, or Sam did with the foul call that was kind of crap against um, yep. you and I. They had that 50 and that was right in front of me, man. That was not a foul. This, this was not a 50 50 call. This, yeah, this was not a foul. This was not a foul whatsoever on this loose ball. He had the angle on it, and Brad Underwood just looked at the official and went, wow, wow, wow. Wow. Like, cause it was, it was a brutal call. Okay. And I understand that Stephen F. Austin didn't score in the final 90 seconds. I get all that. Right. Um, it's really rough. That tip in was such a weird play. I mean, Jackson hits the side of the backboard. August can't put it in. And then you got a kid who has not even scored in the game who braced it afterward. Hasn't scored the best... in the game. He hasn't scored since March 5th. Ridiculous. Right. And Bray yeah. said, and I, he, I was listening on the outskirts of a, of a press horde, so I didn't get to kind of like yell over him and interject. He said he thinks Fluger has the best vertical on the team, as in better than Jackson. Like, okay, I'm going to take him at his word for that. Just uh, a ridiculous, crazy tip. And I have never seen a team shot more shot. Like, I, I'm sure Northern Iowa was plenty shocked that that game got to overtime. But Stephen F. Austin was just controlling everything it needed to control over those final four or five minutes, okay? And when it lost, that team was just completely stunned. The locker room afterward, listen, these things are not, like, assistants were red-eyed and crying. It was not easy. Brad Underwood, I have it on uh, a recap thing. He was so awesome at the podium. He was so emotional talking about walk-up. That is the other aspect of this tournament. We mention it every year, and we should mention it every year, GP. It is just, it kills you to see... The mechanisms behind this tournament, the players, the coaching, these are good people that have put in all this effort. They're finally on this huge stage, and it's almost there, and it's ripped from them. And as Sam mentioned, these are not guys, for the most part, that are going to have careers in the pros. Walk-up is going to you know, have a look at the NBA, I'm sure. But it is such a dramatic and heartbreaking thing. Going into a losing locker room every NCAA tournament, I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to have to do it again. It, it's brutal, man. It is absolutely brutal. I would have loved to have seen the Lumberjacks get in, but you know what? Underwood created a great culture there, and it's a hell of a start to what should be an incredible coaching career. Sorry for the rambling, but that game and that environment in Brooklyn was fantastic, and it was a pleasure to watch Stephen F. Austin get to the tournament three straight years in a row. I will say, like even for the guys who do make it to the NBA, like they never forget about this. Like I was with Brendan yeah. Haywood last night. Brendan, you know, he spent 13 years in the NBA, won a world championship with the Mavericks. Like, he played with LeBron. Like, he's done it all, made a bazillion dollars. And, um, you know, it's like we're talking about it last night. He's like, yeah, we lost to Penn State. You know, it, like he remembers. The, you know, I don't even remember that game. You know, he, he'll never forget it. You know, like he, yeah. he knows every detail of it. He knows exactly how it went down, everything. And so um, I do I, – I understand your point and I think it's proper. Like for some of these guys, this is as good as it ever gets and it ends so badly and, and mm-hmm. with such heartbreak. But even for the guys where it does get better after this, you make millions of dollars, you play in the league. Like this – that's still a sting that uh, – I don't want to say it's always there, but it's always um, – you always, you always remember the sting. I'll put it that way. How about this? So we've been talking now for 30 minutes and – I know exactly what you're going to say. The idea that there is so much craziness that went on that we haven't even mentioned really that right. that arguably and I right. think I think probably the biggest upset in the history of the NCAA tournament happened since the last time we talked as well. I know Michigan State was a 2 seed, but Michigan State had the second best odds uh, according to Vegas to win the national championship. Like people thought they should have been a one. They probably should have been a one. Las Vegas thought the only team with better odds to win the national championship in this particular season was Kansas. Michigan State was second. 
and no team in the history of college basketball with, with the second best odds to win a national championship has ever lost its opening game in the NCAA tournament. Like what, what we saw Friday was also truly historic, and yet it, it, it seems like it's way, like middle of the pack on the list of crazy things that happened. Yeah, no, that was wild. The crazy thing about that whole setup was was I thought you were going a totally different direction How about because that? I think it's right. crazy that we haven't talked about Indiana Kentucky yet. Right. Like well, Indiana and we will and we will because we will. No, you, no, no, no a, I know what you mean. The Michigan zero, State thing is a, so much bigger. There's a zero percent chance we're getting out of this podcast without me talking about Tom Crean uh, winning yet another basketball game. But um, to me, that was and we'll get back to it. Just say that's a basketball. It's a big basketball game and a big moment for Tom and two big brands. But that was a that was a basketball game. Cal's going to be fine. Yeah. Kentucky's going to be back in the deal next year. Um, the Michigan State thing, that's really something we've never seen before. Yep. It was crazy. I think that that has an argument for being the best upset ever. Uh, I, I would say that Michigan State is probably the best team to ever be upset in the first round. Uh, maybe not Maybe not the biggest upset in terms of Middle Tennessee State was a pretty strong uh, 15 seed. But like, ter- in terms of losing your first game, Michigan State might be the best team ever. Not only do you have the number two overall team in the country, really. You have a national player of the year candidate in Denzel Valentine. You have a Hall of Fame coach likely going in this year in Tom Izzo, who is renowned for getting his teams to perform in March. But you just have the way that that entire game went. Like, mm. that was a wire-to-wire win for Middle Tennessee no, man, State. And, that, and that's the thing. It, it didn't even, if you watched it, like, when you if you just saw the score, you go, whoa. But if you watched it, you're like, yeah, they beat them. They beat them. They, they just, flat out beat them. They, they lined scored up 90 them. points on the best defensive team in the Big Ten. Yeah. No, they like, just lined up and beat them. And every time Michigan State, like even at the end of the first half and then several times in the second half, you know, Brent Forbes knocks down a shot. Denzel knocks down a shot. You go, okay, okay, okay here we go. Okay, that's it. Then Giddy went down and knocked down another one. I mean, it was it was unbelievable to watch it. And I, I, you know, people have argued that Missouri Norfolk State was technically a bigger upset because like the point spread was bigger and blah blah blah. Right. Man, shut up. Uh, you know, like I, I understand the numbers. I like I understand the numbers, but like I don't even care. Like this this is not beating. Like, do you even remember anybody on that Missouri team? Uh, it was Kim uh, English, wasn't yeah, it? I th- I think, uh, I think Denman. Denman was Marcus on that team. Denman, I think yeah. Kimmy was. Was Michael yeah. Dixon on that team? Like, but that's yeah. Like, the, was, yeah. The likely, but like you're not talking, yeah, exactly. We ain't talking about the national, like the the probable or at least possible national player of the year. And not only a, a guy who's gonna be a Hall of Fame coach in two weeks, but a guy who's like the the cliched lame but still joke that uh, you know, ah, it's it's January, February. Uh, Izzo, April, like, you know, that that's who we're talking about here. Yeah. Michigan State, you know, the Big Ten tournament champs, Izzo, Valentine, and then losing your first game in the NCAA tournament. Uh, with all due respect to Frank, Haith, and Missouri, and Kimmy, and all those guys, this was a, to me, this is a different deal. I don't care if the point spread's bigger. A, t- a true national championship contender, like the team with the second best odds losing its opening game, with a Hall of Fame coach and Denzel Valentine, that's that's the biggest upset in tournament history. I agree, and it was very Florida Gulf Coast-like with the way Middle Tennessee won it. As you guys mentioned, it was just they they stood up, they they threw every punch, they took everything that Michigan State had and had an answer and a run. It was uh, surreal. To I was in Brooklyn as that was happening, so I was watching on a stream. It was 
uh, surreal to watch that. It, it like it, it's special when you and you we get these like what? now we don't get this fifteen over two, but in terms of just a or a fifteen with the Gulf Coast or occasionally a fourteen or a thirteen or a twelve. Um, when you ha- it's not like oh yeah the the higher seed was kind of just letting the lower seed hang around by seven to ten points until like four minutes to go and then the run came. Every blue moon we get one of these games where it's like what on earth is happening right now? Like this is if you if you took off the names and one team was wearing blue and one team was wearing white and you heard, you had to guess what was the two seed and what was the fifteen, you would say Middle Tennessee. That group of dudes right there, that's the two seed right there because they looked so good. I agree. A lot of people have have gotten really vested in saying that Missouri is the bigger upset. I I, I get it from a uh, technical standpoint, right? But you guys laid it all out for every reason. Michigan State, I think, is the best team to have ever lost in the round of sixty four. Um, yes, Middle Tennessee is better than Norfolk State was right. in terms of ratings, but but also let's let's remember that uh, Norfolk State. Had a dude on his team that is still playing in the NBA, okay? Yep. And Missouri, I don't, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but if I had to guess, that Missouri team would have been at best the sixth best odds-on favorite to win the title. And it was definitely, it was a trendy. I remember it being a a trendy pick, not even to make the Elite Eight that year. So yes, it was shocking, but this one, I mean, come on, like this is, it, it's just. It, it's, like, it's, has it's anybody crazy. looked this up in terms of like brackets? You know, posted at CBSSports.com, ESPN.com, wherever. Like, I was just about to say this. I yeah. bet you more people pick Michigan State than any other team. Michigan State, twenty-three percent of people pick Michigan State to win the title. Sixty-four uh, percent had them in the final four. Yeah, I bet you. Sixty-four percent. GP, it was Kansas. It was Kansas at twenty-six. Michigan okay. State at twenty-three. Okay, fine. Yeah. So, okay, so according to Vegas. Michigan State had the second best odds to win the championship. According to the brackets, people thought Michigan State was the second most likely team to win the national championship. Uh, I haven't looked it up. I I will bet everything I own and all the stuff both of you guys own as well that Missouri wasn't like that that year. Missouri wasn't the second best uh, to do anything. Missouri wasn't the second most... uh, uh, pick national champion in the bracket. Like to me, this is very simple. I, uh, to, if you want to try to argue that Missouri Norfolk State was a bigger upset, what you're really arguing, what you're really rooting your argument in, is is numbers based on the fact that Norfolk State sucked worse than Middle Tennessee did. But to me, that's looking at it backwards. I, again, I understand the numbers. I play with the numbers every day. But uh, yeah. this is this is the team that a lot of people thought was going to win a national I don't know how many people thought that Missouri team was going to win a national championship. It might have been zero. Um, but, like, a lot of people thought Michigan State was winning the national championship. And instead, uh, they were gone by Friday afternoon. Yeah, and the other thing to remember with that uh, Norfolk State team is they were probably slightly underrated by the numbers just because, you know, they play in the MEAC. And the MEAC is, like, the worst league pretty much, like, uh, outside of the swag. Yeah, I was about to say, league. don't you, don't you be, uh, don't, don't, don't sell the sh- uh, the swag short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. No, like I the think swag, that's, that's what he is selling the swag short. I think that's actually exactly what yeah, he's doing. I feel well, like the, I feel the like the Miac was the worst league in the nation this year. I th- outside of the swag, or even including the swag. Uh, what? Yeah. What's happening to the swag? Are they slipping a little bit? The swag no, is the on swag, the up, baby. Swag has got the swag. What in the world? What? What? Where was I doing when this happened? You were shouting yeah, out to Devin know, Downey. Shout yeah. out to Devin Downey. Let me yeah. let me look here. Yeah, the MEAC in that year, the Norfolk State year, was the third worst league 
in all of college basketball. So that's going to, you know, kind of skew the numbers down a little bit. Watch this. Uh, as far as, go ahead. Watch this transition. You ready? I'm, okay. done with, I'm done with the MEAC unless you got something else to say about it. We're done with the MEAC. Okay, good. Period. New paragraph. You know what Devin Downey did once upon a time? He beat the beat Kentucky, Kentucky Wildcats just like Yogi Ferrell did. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Yogi Ferrell. So, I'm going to let Sam and you take this. Phil. My only uh, contributions to this are, so I drove up to Providence and uh, I got to see the uh, careers end for Ron Baker, Fred Van Vliet. They were really great. Oh, uh, how about we didn't, how, we could have done a whole podcast on those guys. I know we really could have. Yeah. Um, well, real quick, I, I'll just be real quick here and then I'll transition. I thought your story on them was, was really, really well done. And I know they appreciate it. I know they appreciate it as well after you spent, um, I guess part of Wednesday or Thursday telling Fred Van Vliet he's got no chance <laughs> to make the NBA. <laughs> Did no, you so, really? No, no, here's the, here's the deal. Someone tweeted at me. He go, they go, uh, do you see Van Vliet making the NBA, have an NBA career? And I tweeted back, and I was just a random person. I go, a lot of people have lost a, a lot of money uh, betting against uh, Fred Van Vliet, but I don't see him uh, as making the league necessarily. And apparently someone got that back to Van Vliet, and then so I follow him. So, you know, you can get the push notifications on your phone. So I get this push notification like the night before – uh, Wichita State's game against Arizona and said Fred, Fred Van Vliet favorited your tweet. That's actually really hard to say. Fred Van Vliet favorited your tweet. And um, and it was that tweet. And uh, so and I shot him a DM and I was like, hey, dude, that's uh, actually kind of awkward, but I'll see you up at Providence if you guys can win and get to Saturday. So they do. And then I had the interview after and he gave me some, uh, some good natured uh, flack for that, as he should have. Um, but yeah, dude, great dude. And him and Baker, listen, uh, that was th th those games, by the way, uh, Yale making the push. Providence is another great, great site. Uh, Miami getting you knew that Baker and Van Vliet were going to were not going to go out like chumps like that was going They were going to make their run. They were going to come back. They didn't get any favors with that early tip. But in terms of their careers, um, just awesome. I don't I can't maybe I'm just having a brain fart, but I could not think of any other duo in college basketball that had played for four years, made the tournament every year, made a Final Four, been nationally relevant, had lifted a program to heights it had never been before, and they're truly interchangeable. And when Greg Marshall, we were kind of talking outside the locker room, when he said, it's Batman and Robin, and I don't know which one is Batman, I think that absolutely nailed it right on the head because they each had such um, – uh, powerful facets to why they made Wichita State good, and you could easily make the case that Fred Van Vliet was the most important player, but you could also say, hey, listen, without Baker doing this, this, and this, Wichita State isn't what it is. So they were great in telling me you know, what they admired about each guy. Baker was on the podium crying, basically saying, I let Fred down because I told him we'd get back to a Final Four, and as he's doing this, I couldn't truly convey it in the column, but as he's doing this, Marshall, like, he's going ugly cry face, and he's trying his hardest not to cry up there on the podium in front of the press, but he can't, he can't stop. Like it's just such a powerful moment. So it was a privilege to see that those two and their careers end. Um, and it, it, you know, nine tournament wins. Here's a fun stat. They, Wichita state has more wins in the NCAA tournament over the past four years than any other program that made the tournament in all of those years. Kentucky was not in it the year that they went to the final four. Otherwise Kentucky would have that, that number. So an incredible legacy. I think it's awesome. You can't say one without thinking the other, but as I'm driving home from Providence, hustling home, I got the March madness app up and I'm listening Kentucky, Indiana game. So it was this this app is like the greatest thing ever. It really is. Like I I couldn't find it on the radio, and so I'm listening to Kentucky and Indiana as if it's the broadcast. Like it is the straight up stream, and uh, it was a great call. And I was listen this 
OG Ananobi is he's be, he can be. We'll see what they do, guys. And you guys can take Indiana, Kentucky from here. But I think that he has the greatest potential of any player in the Sweet 16 to kind of really blow up. If Indiana were to beat Carolina, he could become one of the stars of the second weekend. Uh, we have breaking news. Jamie Dixon has accepted the TCU job. Oh, my goodness. Okay. The, uh, uh, well, okay. There, here, we, here we go. All right. So I reported yesterday that he had had the offer and was seriously considering it. And now... It is done. Jamie Dixon, after 13 years at Pitt, is going to uh, be the next head coach at TCU, which is his alma mater. So we can uh, talk about that a little bit later on, but I want to get back to... I don't know why I announced that on the podcast like it was a radio show. <laughs> no, it's fine. Like, this happens. No, it's fine. Yeah, it's year. right in real time. I, I'll say something real quick on it. I mean, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh, and I still have a pretty decent amount of contact with people there. Like, that thing had turned on him. You know, like it makes sense that now is the time to make that move. You know what I mean? Like he'd been there 13 years and your alma mater doesn't come up every day. So the TCU is not necessarily the best job in the world, but it was time to make the move. So I I think he's probably making the right call, assuming that the money's confirmed. Money's the same, right? I was told the money, I I think it can be more. Now, like somebody, and we don't have to name them, but somebody who covers college basketball, writes about college basketball, whatever, reported earlier today that – they were going to double his salary. He makes $3.4 million. So like, yeah, I was going to say, like, doubling, he, I think his base is like 2.6. Yeah. Mike Krzyzewski like, money. Yeah. So like doubling, yeah. like I, I don't like times two. No, I don't think it's going to be times two, but, um, I was told, um, by a source on Sunday that he had been told, uh, he will not have to take less money. Like uh, the money will be comparable. Like I was told they're going to make the money right. That's what I was, that he, you know, and, and make the money right. Plus there's no state income tax in, this, in Texas. It's why a lot of yeah. NBA players like to go there. And that was a selling point as well. But the larger one is, you know, at some point, if, if you're not appreciated where you're at going to 11 tournaments in 13 seasons, like if people focus on what you're not doing more than they're focusing on what you are doing, um, that can be um, uncomfortable. Like it, I don't want to say miserable because there's nothing miserable about it relative to what, um, other um you know misery uh, is other misery <laughs> is right but uh it, it cannot it can it can lack something and so now you go and you try to rebuild tcu your alma mater and um and and they will be thrilled if you just get them to seventh and can he the, be can he rebuild tcu the way tom green has rebuilt indiana good segue oh. good segue uh norlander i'll be honest with you i don't know i don't know because you're talking about a tom Crean who has won uh two outright big 10 titles in, the, in a four-year span, a, a Tom Crean who is back in the Sweet 16 again after um, playing a, a Kentucky team that was ranked in the top two in the preseason and uh, dismantling them in the round of 32 to set up a matchup uh, between the Indiana Hoosiers and the North Carolina Tar Heels. Norlander, your thoughts on Tom Crean's uh, rise to the top of the college basketball world and the end of Kentucky's mostly disappointing season. All right, so what you've done here is you're in the corner. We're running our offense. You're swinging it to me at the top of the key. I'm taking the ball, and I'm, I'm swinging it right there. Swing pass, cross court, get it to the weak side. Sam, why don't you take this ball and run with it? Here you go. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited to see Indiana play uh, North Carolina for sure. That Kentucky game was really, really good. That was a really fun game. It was back and forth. And uh, that whole – with eight minutes left, it was dead even. Like it was uh, 50 to 50 with – 
19 uh, field goals for each team on 45 attempts for each team. Like, you could not have had a more even game for the first 32 minutes of that game than Indiana-Kentucky. And then Indiana made its run. Uh, Indiana was terrific. Like uh, Matt said, OG Ananobi is a legit NBA prospect. Like, in a big, big way. I don't think he should declare this year because I think he could be, like, a genuine top 10 pick next year. Liz, let, me stop let, me stop, let me stop right there. I was there in the preseason, and I watched mm-hmm. him work out two straight days, and I was like, yeah. geez, he was good. And then I was like, God, I've never heard of him. So like, so <laughs> no, like, so like, like, I have no idea how people missed a six foot eight wing with a seven two wing. I was like, I was like, no he, idea. I was like, he's he's really talented, and I was like, why have I never heard of him? So I never like made a big deal out of it because I just I didn't trust myself. <laughs> I was like, I figured if all these recruiting analysts had seen him thirty times, somebody would have pointed out, you know what, like this kid, this kid's really good. But um, uh, yeah, he's really good. No, and he, the, the biggest thing with him is, is he, like, really cares. Like, he, he gets down and defends like crazy. And, I mean, he – I don't want to say he, like, locked up Jamal Murray. Like, Jamal Murray still had 16 points on, like, 16 shots or something. But he was really good on Murray. He had a couple of blocks on jump shots. He had, uh, you know, a couple of steals and dunks. Like, it was a really impressive performance. Like, I mean, you don't want to throw around like the Kawhi comparison, but like that's what it was reminiscent of at the very least on the college level. You know, just a guy that is a freak athlete with freak measurements goes out and just kind of takes over a game for a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I, I was really impressed. And I think that some people are a little overshooting what his draft stock is this year, because again, we're still talking about a guy that's like, you know, playing 15 minutes a game and, you know, he's, you know, not even shooting a three a game and uh, he, he's just not fully developed yet. Like he can't really handle the ball yet even. And, but if he continues to develop in that Indiana system, which is awesome to develop in, he's got a shot to be a top 10 pick next year easily. But, uh, you know, beyond him, I think that, you know, the key here was Thomas Bryant, just destroying that Kentucky front court uh, in a way that isn't, terribly unexpected given what we saw from Kentucky this year, right? Like, you know, that was their biggest problem throughout the year and it ended up biting them. That should come as a shock to no one. And, you know, the the Tyler Eulis yogi Farrell matchup lived up to the hype. It was great. Uh, Eulis did not deserve to lose that game, but everyone, there has to be a loser in a game of college basketball. And Eulis ended up being on the bad side of it after Yogi Ferrell just led that nice little run with about six minutes left. And uh, his career is going to be coming to an end because it looks like he's going to declare for the draft. And he's another guy that, you know, I think is probably going to be a top 20 pick this year. So I really, really love this game. I think that, you know, Matt said that he thought Notre Dame Stephen F. Austin was the best game in the tournament so far. I kind of think it was Kentucky, Indiana, because, man, was that game just the stakes were so high. And, you know, the drama was so real. Like, that, that did not feel like a round of 32 game. That felt like an Elite Eight game to get to a Final Four to me. And it was just incredible to watch the entire way. All right, well, let's take it a step forward then and look ahead to the Sweet 16 matchup. And there's three of uh, the Sweet 16 matchups, specifically between Indiana and North Carolina. We're going to get to all the games on the Wednesday podcast, but there's three uh, that I want to touch on before we get out of here. First is Indiana, North Carolina. Norlander, can the great Tom Crean get this done, or is he just outmanned too much? He can get it done. <clears throat> I had Kentucky over Carolina in my bracket. Um, I would strongly consider Indiana's chances here um, with how it played against Kentucky, how it got up against Kentucky, 
how the defense has been better, how good the offense has been overall. Um, liking a lot of what I'm seeing from Bryant. Uh, if like if you tell me Troy Williams plays to the best of his ability, then I think they'll have a really good chance. This obviously is the best. Uh, you know, it's the one that we would get the most most pub. Biggest marquee going into Sweet 16, as it should. You know, two of the greatest programs in the history of college basketball. Gun to my head, I take Carolina, but I think it's got tremendous potential to be uh, really good and really entertaining. What you can get in these situations with the way both these teams play is if something gets away from either team down the second half stretch, this could wind up being like, you know, an 88-79 game where it's fun for about 30 minutes, but then we kind of lose its luster near the end. Who knows if that'll happen? Indiana will have a really good shot. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that we get one of these uh, in the Sweet 16. But really, overall, as we'll talk much more on the Wednesday podcast, there's not really a bad Sweet 16 matchup, which, of course, is uh, a result of having, you know, all these, you know, the big brands move on. And when Syracuse and Gonzaga are your worst teams, then clearly you're going to have such enticing games in the Sweet 16. Speaking of two uh, big brands, we got another one, Kansas, Maryland, uh, Vassini, Kansas, Maryland, can the... uh... Can the Terps upset the Jayhawks, or are they just too dysfunctional to win a game like this? I mean, they can. Right. Uh, I mean, anyone that has that kind of talent, I think, has a shot at an upset, certainly, right? But uh, just from what we've seen of those two teams this year, I mean, Kansas is... Honestly, I think Kansas is probably the more talented team just from top to bottom on that roster. That Maryland roster really only goes like, you know, six deep as far as guys I feel confident in. You know, Kansas can go nine to ten deep and I feel relatively okay with who they have on the floor. And they're just a lot more experienced. They play better defense. They get more efficient looks on offense. They're more well-schooled. It's just a really impressive group. And, you know, I've been saying the entire time, Kansas is my pick to win the national championship, basically from the beginning of the year. And uh, this Maryland team was one of the teams that I thought could be relatively disappointing. And they haven't lived up to, or they have lived up to that hype, despite being a Sweet 16 team that got uh, a relatively easy road with South Dakota State and Hawaii in the first two rounds. So uh, I think that I am interested to see if Maryland can finally bring the pieces together. And they certainly have the talent to do that. But based on what we've seen so far, uh, it's pretty difficult to pick against Kansas in that one. And Norlander, the last one I want to get to before we get out of here is Duke, Oregon. I keep, we, I think we all keep waiting um, for Duke to lose and for its season to be over for a variety of reasons. This isn't the most talented Duke team in the world, and it's certainly not the most healthy or the healthiest uh, Duke team in the world. Uh, but if you've got two first-round picks and a Plumley. Like, is, is hmm. that is that enough? Two first-round picks and a Plumley? Can that get it done? Maybe. How about Plumley though? Like, he is a man-child out there. He, he, and listen, he's he's done Army training. He's going to uh, work in that capacity uh, going forward after he, he graduates. He actually – I don't understand the exact terminology, but he's going to pursue an NBA career but also will – represent the army and, and kind of uh and stump for that as well and you and it's it's really kind of awesome to see like how passionate he is like him going up to every duke player in that timeout in that yell game and basically shaking them to life saying you dudes are not losing this game i will kill you all it's amazing ingram oh, listen, he, he's like a crazy person he is it's and it's great. so entertaining it's really really entertaining to watch um and terrifying ingram uh he is just I'm loving this kid's game more by the by the week he especially against Wilmington listen Duke got pushed in both of its games and I think a lot of people will like Oregon in this one um I do too uh 
but I want to see like I want to see what Chris Boucher does down low. Uh, and and it, you know, Sam, do you think they'll put Boucher on Ingram? Because I think that's the move you have to go with, right? No, I think they'll go either Cooker, Brooks, or maybe even Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell's the better defender uh, out of uh, yeah. And, I guess uh, I just I think yeah. Bell. I don't know. I think with what Ingram style is, I think he would uh, have his way with Bell. I don't know. Boucher's the best. I think he would. I think that the problem would be he'd more have his way with Boucher and get him into foul trouble just also because possible. Boucher's footwork is great. It's super fascinating because I think Ingram's going to have a really good game against Oregon, but I think Oregon will have more that will give Duke a lot of trouble with his offense. I think Dylan Brooks, this is now like he was. To me, Dylan Brooks is why Oregon's still in the tournament. They really should have lost to St. Joe's. That was the last game of Sunday. Also, a really fantastic way to end it. St. Joe's was up 58 to 51, and they kind of lost themselves there. We've had a, we had a number of teams, guys, that were in control and and really heading toward a victory, and then there's the pressure of this freaking tournament. It can just it can just rip you apart, and that's what happened there. Uh, love Dylan Brooks's game, and I'm gonna give Sam credit here because he was really big on Ty- Tyler Dorsey from the start. And more and more, like Dorsey's become like he can really you can count on him from three. I, I like what he does overall. I will pick Oregon, but I, I feel it's it's kind of toss up like. And again, Shashevsky Duke tournament. We'll see. But uh, but I'm glad we touched on that GP because to me it's it's a very intriguing game overall because I, I, I have these teams ever even met ever like I can't ever remember a Duke Oregon game period. So it's fun when the tournament can give us something that we don't ever usually see. It's a big time Nike game, big time Nike game. It's a great point. <laughs> Big time Nike game. A lot of Nike uh, influence is going to be on the court there. Two pros and a Plumley. You can use that if you want to. Hashtag it if you want. Two pros and a Plumley. There we go. Go ahead. <laughs> repeat. Repeat it. Yell it back at me. Wait. Uh, right now. Like yeah. Right now we're practicing. Two pros and a Plumley. In case you have to do a radio interview or something, and somebody asks you, so um, you know, Duke's been uh, you know uh, underwhelming most of this year relative to preseason expectations. They dropped out of the national rankings you know, at some point in January, and yet they're playing a number one seed here, uh, Norlander, um, do you think they have a chance? And if they were to upset Oregon, why would that be? And then what would you say? Uh, two pros and a plumbing. There you go. Perfect. See how that worked? Yes. All right. Use it. Use it whenever you got to use it this week, okay? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, uh, this is just an amazing time of year. What, what hour is it right now? I, you want know, to know what time I went to bed? 5 a.m. I went to bed at 5 a.m. and I got up at 7:30. Beat me. I, I'm, 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 I'm dying. I actually, dude. I to finish writing because I didn't get out of the television studio till 1:30 in the morning. And I saw you talking stuff about me in that group chat, Norlander, acting like I'm not. You saw that? Yeah, saw I saw that. it. <laughs> I love how you scroll up. We had so much to do last night, and they were asking for like, like thing after thing after thing, and we like we're glad to do it. But I go shout out to Gary Parish who's rolling, who's lighting cigars with his hundred dollar bills right now, not having to worry about this stuff. You think? <laughs> you think? Yeah, like what is that about? You like you think, like it wasn't like I was like laying in bed. Well, I know you're. Li- watching I know you're Netflix. legitimate. Working. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like doing television. That's work too, Norlander. Yeah, and then Parrish like submits an article at like 2 a.m. to like my time. Yeah, 2 a.m. your time, which is 5 a.m. my time. Yeah, I was up to 5 a.m. On that, you listen, scumbags listen. were asleep way before I was. And I, and I, I, I guess I'll admit grind. that. And I, I was no awake, and then I was awake way, way before you were. Norlander, apologize. I know, I know, but you never sleep anyway. So this is this is just who you are. Like you can't sleep. Period. You sleep. Uh, you average like three hours a night. It's, oh, it's, it's who you are as an animal. I hate myself so much. But I was uh, <laughs> do that. I, 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 I listen. I, I, here's here's the truth. I I 
kept walking around. I like cleaned the, the the mini bar out in my hotel room, and I don't mean like with vodka, like just Red Bulls <laughs> and, and anything, uh, just anything I could like do to keep me awake. Like I just, I was like drinking Red Bulls and grabbing a Kit Kat and whatever. Like I I really just as we're recording this podcast, I just got the uh, receipt like emailed to me from the hotel. I like did fifty dollars worth of mini bar last night without even any liquor whatsoever. And uh, so I woke up at one point. I didn't even know what happened. I was sitting in my bed with my computer in my lap, and I had fallen asleep, like in the middle of writing a column. That's how tired I was. I was just – I woke up, and I was like, oh, wow. I wonder how long I've been asleep. I fell, I fell asleep for like 12 minutes. I had people coming up to me on Press Row in Brooklyn saying, listen, you look terrible. Like, <laughs> That's I'm sweet. Sorry. Like, and I That's was like, I know you. it because – and like – I still have a cough. I, I was sick. I was trying to conduct interviews and like I, I would straight up have to be like, give me give me 20 seconds because I have to go hack my brains out. It was uh, listen, this goose grind is this grind is hard. GP. I understand. I'm right there with you. And well, uh, well you know, I saw I saw what you wrote. <laughs> hey, listen, but, I, I ain't but, afraid to say it. But no, here's I, the thing. If I thought you were really like talking behind my back, I know you wouldn't have put it in the group chat. So I can I can I can respect that when you put it right in my face. I never talked about it. It was no, within I, the con- you, you can talk with, about but it. But you got where back. I was coming from, right? Because within the context of oh, that, sure. it was like two in the morning and we still had all this work to do. And I was like, freaking I could really <laughs> use Paris's help right now. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm sorry. Some people have to talk on, on television and provide <laughs> expert analysis, Norlander. With hey, verbally. Listen, you're Verbally. living that life. God, that's I don't begrudge you for it. Yeah. Well, it seems like you did. I mean, the the group chat seemed to suggest that you do. No, no, I didn't. But uh, but you'll notice I got a good laugh out of everyone. So All right. Uh, yeah. No. Well, that that makes me uncomfortable too. That everybody thought that was the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> that everybody thought that was the I funniest thing ever. Record. I want on the record, okay, it wasn't enough that we were that we basically gave Parrish an Irish wake and told him how amazing and great and, and amazing of a colleague he was earlier this season. I want on the record right here that Parrish actually is one of the hardest working men that I know oh, I in the media business. That is legit. I, I, no, that is, that, is, that is legit. And so I can give him crap for having to work 14-hour days on television while the rest of us in the beehive are, uh, are stuck kind of churning out content on the website overall because he does many things. Like right now, he wants to get off this podcast because he's got to go do his radio show, yeah. Which pays him very well, and I understand it's, it's a hard time. <laughs> Why do you keep talking about how much money I make? That's the second comment you made. <laughs> Let, listen, I, I, why, does it make you uncomfortable, GP? No, but it, it makes you it makes you seem resentful. Like you, no, you, not, you, not, you, not, you make a comment like, "Oh, he's lighting cigars with hundred dollar bills," and now you're like, <laughs> and now you're like his radio show, which pays him because a lot. You, you, share the, you, share, you share the gifts of that stuff in the Slack chat, so I figured it just it makes. Uh, it, Hey, I, I make enough money to, to be able to have the Kimoji app, and that's all that really matters. That's also a great point, that you have now started just communicating Kimoji over text message. Dude, I, and, got, uh, I got three of my buddies. We're in the, like, they're all gamblers, so we're in this group chat forever. Like We're just constantly talking crazy, and we have completely turned to communicating with each other with nothing but Kimoji. Dude, you're sending these emojis. I'm on press row at the tournament, and I've got iMessage up, and I've got oh my, oh my gosh, I got to close this thing out. I can't have people buy like literally, not joking. Thirteen year olds behind me <laughs> going, "What is that?" It's I'm not kidding. I'm not even joking. I got no stocking emoji, but like I don't know why everybody doesn't have emoji. It is so good. Emoji is so much fun. Oh boy, you should get Where it. Are we you, gone. You 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 guys should get emoji. Promise me that before we talk again. Well, I need two Cannot things. Promise you that, GP. I need two things from you. I need you before we talk again on Wednesday. I need you to promise me that you'll have Kimoji. and then secondly, um, let's practice. Vasini, it's your turn. 
if you're doing a radio show this week and somebody says, so Oregon-Duke is an interesting 1-4 matchup, but the Ducks are the favorite. On one, on the other hand, Mike Krzyzewski, he's got a limited roster, but um, still, it's Coach K, winningest coach of all time. Uh, Sam, you cover college basketball for CBS Sports. If Duke were to upset Oregon, why would it happen? Well, you know, they got two pros and a plum leaf. Yes! Yes! Isn't that perfect? <laughs> If, I, if 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 you could if you could put a emoji on a podcast right now, it would be the one of Kim shaking her butt. That's the one I would use. I gotta host the radio what show. What is going on? Hey, here? Hey, I, hey, I gotta go because you have no idea how much they pay me to do this radio show. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I gotta go host that right now. All right. We'll talk to you Wednesday, buddy. I'll talk to you Wednesday, buddy. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episode. Go do that. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye.